So I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Acts chapter 18. And that's page uh, 1724. Page 1724. Acts chapter 18, and we'll read the first 11 verses there. So if you've uh, been with us Throughout uh, the last few months, we've been making our way through the book of Acts. And actually, uh, last Sunday when Pastor Young Kwong preached, he preached from Acts chapter 20. So that's really uh, where we are. I'm taking a step back um, just to look at this brief passage from Acts chapter 18, which uh, in some ways uh, serves as sort of a summary uh, for us of much of what's gone on and what's happening in the book of Acts. And so it's a bit of a review for us um, this morning. And uh, yeah, just want us to be aware of of where we are. This is going to be uh, the last message this year on the book of Acts. Uh, We'll be diving into an Advent theme uh, next Sunday and probably returning to Acts um, in January again. So let's, uh, let's look at the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 18, and uh, just to set this for us, a few weeks ago I preached on Paul in Athens, and this is uh, the text that comes right after that. So Paul leaves Athens and heads to Corinth. After this, Paul left Athens, went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, in in Jesus Christ... This is a question I, I shudder to ask a little bit, but are you getting a little restless with Acts, with the book of Acts? I mean, we've been at it a long time now. We're almost, uh, we're over 20 chapters in, really, and, and in many ways, it's been sort of a, 
a history lesson and a geography lesson. And my guess is that, um, well, honestly, like me, you might get a little tired of phrases like, uh, and from there they sailed to Ephesus. Um, or from, from there they traveled through Phrygia. Exciting stuff, Luke. Thank you. Um, and some of you have to be thinking enough with the geography already and enough with the history and enough with, okay, we went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. When are we going to get to the real stuff, right? When are we going to get to, you know, the action? When are we going to get to the life change and the world change stuff that we think Christianity is, is all about? Isn't that it? I mean, that's why Christ came, right? To change the world. Well, when is Luke going to get to all of that stuff? When is, is racism going to end? And, and when will slaves finally find their freedom? And when will young girls find a future beyond their own families? Luke, that's the stuff we want to know. Okay, when will the potholes get fixed? When will the buses smell better? When will the hospitals be built? Will this be the year that the soup kitchens finally close because of the, a lack of business? Will this be the year that reading scores and math scores finally rise? Will this be the year that mental health workers get to retire early because their work is finally accomplished? That's the kind of thing we want to know. Luke, when is the kingdom going to come? We're ready. We're waiting. We're anxious. We're getting a little tired. When is the kingdom going to come? And if you recall, that's actually the question the disciples asked Jesus at the beginning of this book, right? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When are you going to do it, Lord? When are you going to make all things new? Because what? Because we're tired. We're restless. It's time. When is it going to happen? But let's review. How did Jesus answer that question? Well, if you recall, he redirected it, didn't he? He didn't answer the when question. In fact, he changed the question. He changed it to how. His question had to do with how, not with when. How. How will it happen? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. That's how the kingdom will come, said Jesus. You will be my witnesses witnesses. And that, friends, is the story of the book of Acts. It's a story about witnessing, witnessing to Jesus Christ. And then it's a story about how the world slowly begins to change as a result of all that witnessing. As a result of that witnessing, a community of love begins to grow, a community in which people pray together and study God's Word together and share their wealth with each other. 
And then as that community begins to grow, walls begin to fall down. One of the most significant walls in all of creation is the racial wall that separates so many people. And yet, Acts tells us that because the word kept going forth, people kept witnessing to Jesus Christ, even walls like the walls of racism began to fall. Witnessing. The Word, testimony to Jesus Christ, that's the story. And yet, here we are, over halfway through the book, and what's the question we're asking? It's still the same question. Lord, when? When is it going to happen? I mean, we've studied all fall. We're 20, 20 chapters into Acts And we're still talking about the word. When is it going to happen? And so in verse 9, what happens? What happens in our text? Jesus, okay? The risen Lord, the ascended Lord, makes another appearance. This time to the apostle Paul. He makes an appearance to Paul. And look at what he says. What does he say to Paul? He says, Paul, keep on speaking. Don't be silent. Keep on speaking. Keep on witnessing. Keep on witnessing. Now, why? Why would Paul need to hear that? Why would he need to be encouraged with those words? Why would Paul, after all, why would he be flagging in his faith? Why would he become fearful? I mean, we just read... He continues to declare the gospel, and and people in Corinth, they have believed. Well, he might need to hear that because that's not always the case. In fact, what comes as a result of this witnessing and this preaching is not only converts, but a whole lot of trouble. A whole lot of trouble. I mean, look what verse 6 tells us. The Jews in Corinth, they opposed Paul and they became abusive. And we've read that story time and time again. Paul goes into the, the synagogue and he reasons with the Jews. He proclaims the gospel. And all he does is, is start fights, it seems like. His own people, the people that he loves, the people that he wants to believe the gospel more than anything, they just fight. If you look back at at verse 2, here we're introduced to Priscilla and Aquila. And oftentimes the commentators say, well, this must have been really encouraging for Paul to to be able to unite with people like himself, fellow tent makers, and and they were in the gospel with him. And I'm I'm sure that's true, that, that he was encouraged by that. But at the same time, you can't miss that Luke is telling us that that Priscilla and Aquila, they came all the way from Italy to Corinth. Why? Because because they were kicked out of Rome. I think it was Claudius was the emperor. He, He told all the Jews in Rome that they had to leave. They had to get out. And we ask the questions why, and and historians actually tell us. They have the answer. They were kicked out of Rome basically because they were arguing and fighting amongst themselves so much. And they were arguing and fighting amongst themselves over someone by the name of Christos. Or Crestus. They've got it a little wrong, but it seems like they were fighting over Christ. Some believed and some didn't. 
And they were fighting and sending shockwaves through the world. I mean, people were losing their homes, being sent wandering. Why? Because of this gospel that Paul continues to proclaim. And there had to be times where he was wondering, Jesus, is this really what you want me to do? This is something I can't seem to control. I want good things to happen, but I can't control the outcome. That's a, a good thing to think about. Do we really control the word? Look, look for a moment with me at, at verse 5 of, of chapter 18. <clears throat> so Paul is, is in Corinth now, and um, we're told that he's rejoined by Silas and Timothy, and he's got Priscilla and Aquila at his side now. And Luke seems to be telling us that at this point, um, Paul's got things a little in control now, a little in hand, and now he can really begin to focus on preaching the word. And so our translation says something like, and and he really devotes himself solely now to preaching the gospel. That's what he's going to do from here on out. The trouble is that that it's how to translate that verse. It's it's not an easy translation. And in fact, the ESV says that, that Paul is occupied with the word. Okay, so it it speaks about the word, and and Paul is occupied with the word as if Paul is the actor, and and the word is under his control. The word is, is passive, it's being acted upon, okay? But that's not the only sense that you can take the Greek in. So, so think of it this way, um, if you were to call over to our house maybe this afternoon, maybe sometime this week, and, and ask for me, and Jackie would say something like, well, well, Peter's occupied with the Christmas tree right now. How would you, how would you take that? <clears throat> he's occupied with the Christmas tree. So in one sense, well, he's, he's got the Christmas tree. He's going to set it up and put lights on it and, and decorate it, and, and everything is going to go really, really smoothly. Why? Because he's got it under control, right? How many of you have, have been occupied with the Christmas tree in totally a different way, where it seems like actually the Christmas tree is, being, is occupying you, right? It's got you under its control. It's, it's, it's too tall or it's too short or it's falling this way or it's falling that way or the lights don't go on and so you spend an hour trying to get that chain working and then finally you give up and you run back to the store and you get a new chain and plug those in. And, and, and very quickly you begin to see that you're not occupied with the tree. The tree is occupied with you, <clears throat> right? The tree has got you. And that's, that's also how the Greek can be read here about the Word of God. It doesn't have to be that, that Paul is acting upon the Word, but the Word is acting upon Paul. In other words, the Word is having its way with Paul. It's grabbed hold of him, and it's compelling him to testify. It's forcing him to witness that he really doesn't have a choice. It can be read that, that, that somehow there's a, there's a power in the Word, there's a force in the Word that, that, that overwhelms Paul. And there's nothing he can do other than to witness, 
to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. He is possessed by the Word, you might say. It doesn't, or he doesn't possess the Word, but he is possessed by the Word. Paul is afraid. He's afraid in that situation. It's out of my control. What if, what if it's doing things it's not supposed to be doing? What if I'm doing things I'm not supposed to be doing? What if I'm doing more harm than good? Have you ever felt possessed by the word? Like it's taken hold of you and there's nothing you can do about it? You think that ever happens? Well, think about, think about Jeremiah a moment. Jeremiah had a similar experience. He said, he said, the word is in me like a fire in my bones. This is what he said. If I say I will not mention Yahweh or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Why would he even try to hold it in? Well, if you remember the story of Jeremiah, because the word that he spoke did all sorts of damage, it brought judgment on the very people that he loved. And yet he could not hold it back. He could not hold it in. Think of Martin Luther. He had a similar experience. Martin Luther never wanted to break the church apart. But there he found himself, 1521, defending himself and his movement to the Holy Roman Emperor. And he said these words, Here I stand, I can do no other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. My conscience is captive. He knew what his word would do. He knew the trouble it was causing. But he stood there and said, I can do nothing else. I've got to continue to declare this word. There's a power in the word. There's a power that takes hold of us. Is that true? Do we find that anywhere else? I'll think about Isaiah. We read verses from Isaiah 55 this morning, but this is what else it says. It says, As the rains and the snow fall and do not return empty to the heavens, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, God says, When I speak, the word, it is like the rain. It has an impact on the world. It impacts the world exactly as I want it to. It does not return empty to me. There is a power in the word itself. Think about the book of Acts. Think of how Luke describes just growth in the church, right? Sometimes he puts it this way, which doesn't strike anything about it. It says, and, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You think, wow, that's pretty incredible. But there's nothing real remarkable about the word itself. Other times, Luke describes church growth this way. Chapter 6, 
And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The word itself increased. Chapter 12, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Chapter 13, and the word of of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Chapter 19, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It's like the word has this power within itself. Luke describes the word as if it has the power to multiply. It's like a it's like a human cell that's been programmed by the creator, right, to keep keep splitting and multiplying it until it becomes the the billions of cells that make up a human being. The word says Luke has that same power within it, that power to multiply. And yet, it's so easy for us to forget that. To forget the power of the Word. And, and we so often view, view the Word as something that's, that's weak. And, and it's impotent. And it's ineffective. You, you know, we live in a world of doers, right? And doers get things done. Talk to Home Depot. It's doers that make the world go round. It's doers that change things. And we want to do. And why doesn't the book of Acts tell us to do this and to do that, to do more? Don't you want to leave church thinking, I've got to do something. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to bring in the kingdom. You've probably heard the oft-repeated saying, it's often attributed to Francis of Assisi, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You've heard that, right? Francis of Assisi never said that. At least, not that we have recorded anywhere. And the fact is, it's not biblical. It's it's not true. But it's that idea, right? Um, Preach the gospel at all times. Preach it with how you act and how you behave and, and, and your nice ways and the things that you do. But... At last resort, okay, if you absolutely have to, then speak the words. Why? Well, because words tend to cause trouble, don't they? Words cause trouble. It's not biblical, friends, and it's, it's, it's really not the word of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is largely the story of verbal testimony to Jesus and what results from that testimony. The book of Acts is all about the proclamation about who Jesus is, his death, his resurrection, and his coming again. It's a call to repentance. It's the promise of forgiveness of sins. And it's about the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who will change your life. And why these words are so effective. Why are they so effective? Because they speak to the heart. Words change hearts. And we see this over and over again in the book of Acts. Peter preached on Pentecost. And what he read was the result. The people were cut to the heart. 
Later in chapter 2, we read that life in the church is a place of, of gladness, a place of glad and generous hearts. Hearts are changed. When Paul first preached in Philippi, we read that God opened Lydia's heart. Preaching changes hearts. The gospel touches hearts. That's what words do. They get inside of us. They change us. They convince us. They comfort us. They challenge us. And when you touch hearts, you touch lives. And when you touch lives, you touch social structures and political institutions and economic systems. You touch it all. In other words, when you change a heart, you change the world. That's the message of Acts. When you change a heart, you change the world. And changing the world, friends, is a painful process. It's a painful process because it means that people have to finally let go of the allegiances and the loves that are dearest to them and take on a new allegiance and a new love. And that's a painful process for all of us or any of us to go through. And so Jesus comes to Paul and he says, Paul, keep on speaking. Don't be silent. Don't be silent. I have many people in this city that are mine. What's he saying? I have many people here who are just waiting to hear the gospel so that they can believe so that their lives can change. Paul, don't be silent. Keep on speaking. Has the word ever taken hold of you? Taken hold of you to the point that you can't be silent? Children, teenagers, Do you ever feel the word of God like a fire in your bones? You've got to speak it. You've got to teach it. You've got to share it. You can't hold it in. Have you ever felt that? Friends, the world needs to hear the testimony to Jesus. Desperately. The whole world is crying out, when is the kingdom coming? They ask it in different ways, but it's being asked time and time again, and we have the answer. How? Through the gospel. Let me just end this way. I think the world is finally catching on to how important words really are. To how words can actually change the world. We hear a lot about narratives today, don't we? In fact, I don't know. I'd never heard the word narrative before 10 years ago, I think, except in English class. But now we're always talking about narratives. 
rewriting the script, right? Flipping the script, rewriting the narrative. You've got to redefine the narrative, all those kinds of things. I think we're finally beginning to figure out how important the Word is. And we need more people declaring the truth, the real narrative, the narrative of Jesus Christ. I'll give you a a quick example, I think. Um, I I saw a commercial the other day, and I've, I've seen it before. And it's never really caught my attention. just seemed kind of dumb. Um, but I actually paid some attention to it the other day. And it's, it's, a, it's a commercial in which they show a bunch of kids, and I think they're putting on some kind of school program. And so they're dressed up like birds, and they've got all different kinds of costumes on. And so then they show the next scene, and they show some janitor's got all the costumes in a bag, and he's throwing them all in the garbage. And then the next scene, they show all these sad kids, like, we have no costumes for our play anymore. And then <clears throat> in the last scene, everything is resolved. And I think uh, FedEx came through and, and delivered all new costumes. And so the school play could go on, and everyone was happy. And life is just a joy, right? Now, let's break that apart a minute, because there is a narrative to Scripture as well. And it's a narrative in four parts. Creation, God created all things good. And then there was a fall, and all things were broken by sin. And then there was redemption, the story of of Jesus. And then there's the story of recreation, consummation, um, all things remade, new Think about the parts of that story you're getting in that commercial. You get the creation, right? Oh, all these kids having fun in their school play. Everything is great. And you get the fall, the janitor tossing all the stuff away. And then you get consummation. You get the finish. Everything is remade. Everything is new. Everything is good again. And you're missing one piece. The redemption piece, the salvation piece. How did this come about? Well, somehow FedEx fixed it. How did they do that? Well, I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> we don't think about that. Dive into the story a little more. Um, <laughs> why do you think the janitor threw all those things away? Ignorance? Or was it retribution? You know, did his kid get kicked out of the play or something? So he said, I'm going to throw all these things away. That's, that's sin. I mean, that's the real story in our world. Things like that happen. And, and then you think about <clears throat> how, how did people feel about this? I mean, who, who made all those costumes? Was this representing like hours and hours of, of moms who, who sewed and cut and, and poured their sweat and skill into, into making all these costumes and then someone just tossed them in the garbage? Or maybe it was, you know, a, a benefactor of the school, um, the school theat- theater program, right? And, and she gave her whole, her whole month's paycheck to buy all of these, all of these costumes and then somebody just, somebody just let the janitor throw them away? How do you think that person felt? Friends, that's a part of the story that never gets talked about. Nobody cares about it. Nobody wants to think about it. Why? 
We would rather just skim over, over redemption because it's really, really hard. The book of Acts specifically tells the story of redemption. Jesus, the Son of God, had to come into our world, had to take all of, all of our pain and all of our frustration and all of our sin, and he had to take it to the cross and then to the grave, and then he had to leave it there when God raised him from the dead. That's how salvation comes. It's not FedEx. It's not Domino's or Doritos. They're not going to save the world. They're not going to bring in the new creation. We need to know that. The world needs to know that. And we need the church, all of us, to tell the story of redemption to tell the story of Jesus, to tell the true story of the brokenness in the world, how it came about, be honest about how it hurts, and be honest about the only one who can fix it. He's the one who died for us and was raised. The Word of God Jesus comes and he says to all of us, don't be silent. Keep speaking. This is what will change the world. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, We pray that you would convince us over and over again of the power of the word. Don't let us turn our backs on it. Don't let us consider it to be weak and ineffective. Remind us of a different narrative, a different story, which you have given us a word that has the power to change hearts to change lives, to change a world, and you have called your church to speak it. And so help us not to be afraid. Let us know that you are with us and give us your spirit that we may have the power to testify to Jesus Christ, to all that he has done. And in his name we pray, amen.